Doctor Who, The Vampires of Venice. I'm Caleb Woodbridge. I'm Sarah Barrow. And I'm PG Bell. Welcome back to Impossible Podcasts as we continue uh, Doctor Who commentaries. And today we're discussing uh, The Vampires of Venice uh, from Matt Smith's first series. Going back and filling in a few of the gaps in our commentary coverage. So... Yeah, what were your impressions uh, of this? Sarah's laughing because she never ever because they're not vampires. No, I remember this one because this one I this one I do remember (laughs) because they weren't vampires. And I'm sure I've mentioned this number of times on the um, podcast, but I have quite a thing for well modern vampire literature and TV shows, and these aren't vampires. That was my main feeling. They're fish people. Which is not nearly as exciting. <laughs> that was my main feeling did, about did, this episode. Did that let, did, let the episode down for you? Then? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't mind the fact that they weren't vampires because Doctor Who's got a grand tradition of having things that aren't quite vampires but basically are. Well, I uh, wouldn't have minded that too and, much, but fish people. Well, but I, I, I was quite impressed that the fish people were at least as impressive as vampires in themselves. They, they were just as scary... Okay. When it was real that they weren't vampires, but we'll, we'll, we'll get. To I that will in see more if depth. I change my mind. I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the. Um, I liked the setting. I liked the tone mm. of it. It was, it was fun. It was creepy. It was campy. It was exciting. It introduced Rory as a travelling companion. Woo-hoo! It gave like the Rory. Doctor some really good scenes. Um, it expanded on the ongoing mythology of the, the series arc in places. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good fun romp in the best possible sense. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it on the whole. Um, I think the ending was a bit a bit disappointing. Doctor flicks the switch, saves the day. Mm. Uh, but uh, on the whole, it's a really uh, fun story. It looks great. It's got some really good dialogue and character moments, and it is in that uh, grand tradition of Doctor Who of the apparently supernatural uh, being shown to in fact be aliens mm. um, <laughs> and um, yeah I you, think... you almost wondered why they'd bother with the conceit nowadays really <laughs> don't you because you know they're going to aliens are behind to it all alien. but yeah but, yeah, but it, it, it's handled well here I think. Mm. well let's see if I change my mind and actually remember what this episode is other than the fact that it wasn't vampires <laughs> it'll all come flooding back I'm sure probably uh, oh and just to recap Amy has just tried to snog oh, the yes. doctor and the doctor she tried to, uh, to do a little more than snog <laughs> <laughs> there was yeah. great controversy at the time yes uh, tried to bed the doctor <laughs> um, and uh, the, so um the doctor has decided that it's time to reunite her with Rory. Yay! So let's hit the play button. Uh, if you're listening along at home, uh, press play now. So here we are, Venice. 1580. It starts with quite similar sounding music to that at the start of um, the Shakespeare yeah. code. Sort of that's what medieval music always yes, sounds, always like, sounds yes. like. BBC yeah. stock medieval music. Um, but again, I mean, uh, 
here, as as with the Shakespeare Code, the sense of place and setting is really nicely mm. achieved. Um, I know bits of this were filmed in South Wales, an awful lot of it, of course, um, in Croatia. Croatia. But they do get the feeling mm. of, even if it doesn't always succeed in convincing you that they're actually in Venice, you never get the sense that they are in South no. Wales or Eastern Europe. It does feel nice and exotic. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do really like it whenever Doctor Who successfully evokes other times and uh, cultures, which which they did really well in the Shakespeare Code. Um, not yeah. one of my favourite stories at all, tonally, but the setting was good. I like the Shakespeare Code. Mm. I think the Shakespeare Code is one of the more cartoony, though, in terms of its approach to history. Hmm. Um, I like the Doctor, the um, did, Harry did, Potter references. That's my main. <laughs> <for liking laughs> the they, they did have the use of the Globe Theatre, which was a tremendous. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And one thing the BBC has always excelled at is period drama. That's it. And here we have uh, Helen McC- McCrory, uh, yeah. who See, plays in the Harry Potter. She plays Narcissa Malfoy. Yes. Um, being. Evil and sinister. And then you've got, I forget the actor, but he played a ghost in Being Human. Ah. Gilbert the Ghost. It's and Rory! It's Rory! It's Rory Stagdu. Oh, poor Rory. I like Rory. Olivia likes Rory too. Everyone likes Rory. He's a likeable guy. Everyone should like Rory, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those t-shirts are horrendous. <laughs> they are quite quite bad, aren't they? <laughs> brilliant. The doctor makes quite an entrance. That is one of his best entrances. Yeah. It's the way he's facing the wrong way as well. Once again, the doctor's quite clueless when it comes to attractive young women, having having already rebuffed, or well, not even rebuffed, just sort of flailed his way around Get the edges worries. of Amy's advances. He's somehow talked girl in a bikini out of a cake. Hey, what, you're a lucky man. She's a great kisser. <laughs> That's not what you're supposed to say. Either. <laughs> oh dear! Yes, All of these people it's... that we never see again. <laughs> or any of them even at the wedding at the end of the series. But at least, you know, at least they don't die. Which no, is, there is that. You know, the other reason for involving people we never have seen before. And we'll never see again. <laughs> probably never see again, yes. Yeah, you do get much less of a um, sense of Amy and Rory's background than you did with Russell T Davies' characters yeah. and the kind of Which thing. is odd, because going back to the 11th hour, there's, there's quite... There are a couple of quite solid mm. relationships and some quite solid character actors and things thrown in to ground Amy and Rory and Ledworth, and they're, they're never really mentioned or seen. Mm. It's Alex Price plays. Oh yeah. From is it Francesca? Is, is he the ghost? And the, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, the one that's been in Being Human as a Ghost, but he's also uh, he's been the in Merlin. goggles. As well. And it's one of the first cases this series, I think, of them really using the multi-level 
Tarnis. Mm. Yeah. Which they will come back to an awful lot more in Series 6, but that glass floor and... I'm turning you yeah. somewhere. Again. Oh, what, like a date? Anywhere you want. Anytime you want. All conditions. It has to be a motion. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor's attempt to play matchmaking. It does seem quite desperate to <laughs> yes. palmer off on him, doesn't he? Huge room inside what's that about? That it's another dimension. It's basically another dimension. I've got from prison zero, I've been reading up on the latest scientific theories. I've traveled around the universe. I'm allowed to know more than the Doctor, Rory. This is where Rory really starts to establish himself as a yeah, she's just. True. We we discussed this in previous commentaries, but she, this whole thing with her flinging herself at the doctor, just makes her seem a bit clingy. That's a great shot. In mm. that shot, there across across the harbour to uh, the piazza, is it the San Pedro, the San Pietro? I don't know. Uh, Venice I, I've that never way. been to Venice, but I, I should know. Those shots. And they've only played Assassin's Creed, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Did Rory wear this jumper the whole I, episode? I, I've been, I've been to the to the Disney recreation in Tokyo. Um, mm. the, 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 the Disney Sea theme park has this whole Venetian section. The uh, Japanese gondoliers, it's fantastic. But that's as close as I've come to, to actual <laughs> to actual. Um, Venice, but but that establishing shot I I think is on a par with the establishing shot across New York Harbour from the Statue mm. of Liberty in back in Daleks in Manhattan. They've got yeah. really really good, haven't they? Those big open air establishing shots. Yeah. And not only that, but tying it in to these these closer shots of the actual physical mm. sets. There there always used to be a bit of a divorce. You would have. Yeah, a CGI establishing shot of a city and then go straight to the little street scenes mm. and the more intimate setups. But they've managed to figure out some yeah, some nice little techniques of melding the two together. Yeah, I mean they did that quite well in um the Shakespeare code as well, like having them mm. running down the street and blending that in with a larger shot of the setting. Um, yeah. And here we go, there is skullduggery afoot amongst the aristocracy. <laughs> oh, poor Rory. And here we have the creepy vampire girls. They do a really good job of establishing this very quickly, don't mm. they? It's, they're quite seductive but they are quite otherworldly and creepy and <clears throat> mysterious and there are things going on yeah this is written by Toby Whithouse who's um, the um, showrunner on Being Human um, and he does do a very good line in um, uh snappy dialogue mm, as well he does. Which, and he obviously knows his vampires yes um, being human uh, series for uh, finished recently and you know, I just got up with that and that was very good 
And it's been renewed for a fifth, isn't it? Yes. Mm. He's been giving some more. Um, uh, of course, we were doing this commentary in uh, in retrospect, really, because yes. uh, season six has finished. Season seven is already filming, and they have, as far as we know, uh, fin- wrapped all filming on Toby Whithouse's next episode. He's been giving some more mm. high high profile work to do. Uh, do. Do we think that when Stephen Moffat? Um, eventually steps down as showrunner that Toby Whithouse might be in line to replace him? I'm, I'm not sure that Toby Whithouse is a big enough of a fan um, in that I'm not sure whether he'd want to do it for that reason because um, I think um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it might be quite nice to have someone who perhaps isn't so much of a fan. They might bring something new to it. I don't think that that should necessarily be a disqualifying criteria. But I think um, I, I wonder whether it means that he'd be less likely to be offered it or less likely to accept it. Because although he's written for the show, I haven't. He's not one of these ones who's been a sort of fan for um, uh, writing for the spin-offs and stuff like some of the other writers who've been on it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that would necessarily be a problem because going back to the classic series, of course, and all yeah. the producers and script editors when they first arrived on the show yeah. weren't fans and it was just another job, but they were fans by the time they left. Um... And just in, just in terms of looking at the current crop of writers um, on the show, beyond Moffat, mm. looking for people who've got show-running experience and who have got yeah, the weighty scripts and writing experience behind them as well. Well, they've given Chris Chipnell two scripts. I know. So. Why is this man still in work? Because <laughs> oh, he's got there. show-running experience as well. I'd much rather have Toby Whithers than Chris Chipnell. I would much Chipnell. rather have Toby Whithers. Mark Gates' his name has been floated, but mm. whether or not he's got enough writing experience. Yeah, well, I, I think Mark Gates is probably a bit too traditional in his approach to Doctor he, he would very much sort of take it back to the classic series feel, wouldn't he, and give it mm. more of a Pertwee spin. I think... Um, I, I do really like... Uh, the character interaction here, just getting back to episode for a moment, between Amy and Rory and just dealing with the whole impact of the uh, Doctor on their relationship. Mm. (laughs) Classic vampire (laughs) hiding himself behind his cave and hissing. The vampire teeth are quite interesting. It's not just the traditional two fangs. No, it's it, they're far more like the fangs used in uh, Supernatural, if either of you have ever seen, yeah. seen they've those used... where they've got a second set of teeth which come down over the throat. Mm. And there's, there's, there are vampires around as well who have more than just the two mm. teeth. Mm. It's almost almost more they're like more, the whole... more shark-like almost. Yeah, the whole upper it... set is... Is sort of sharpened to a point, sort of thing. It it does put me in mind of those deep sea fish mm. uh, thing with yeah, the, like the anglerfish. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, this scene here was uh, shown as a preview clip on uh, the Jonathan Ross show before the series aired, so it was the first real chance um, fans 
guttersy of Matt Smith uh, performing yeah. as the Doctor. Ah, interesting. I missed that at the time. Um. <laughs> they are. It's, it's like they're checking off every vampire yeah. trope you could ever possibly hope yeah. to have, but it doesn't feel laboured at all, does it? They're, it's all been worked in quite neatly and they're having some fun with it. Nice appearance of William Hartnell. They have been working in dozens of these over the past couple of years, haven't they? (laughs) Poor Matt Smith, having to be surrounded by Skimfully Cartier. It's it's a hard job. I wonder if Moffat, you know... Included this in the shopping list for Toby. It has that sexy girls, just just sexy buxom girls. <laughs> I don't care what else you do, but you have to have the doctor surrounded by them. I might turn up for that day's filming. I might not. <laughs> it's surprising how often that does work. It does, yeah. <laughs> and then usually he's slightly more subtle about yeah. asking yeah. for. It's their bottom teeth don't make sense because they're curved inwards, which doesn't. Oh, poor Rory. Oh, Alpha <laughs> Darfil is really good. Yeah. And he's DJing tonight. He is, yes. For uh, Edward Russell's, um, what, what is it? Exactly? It's the launch of his his new album. Mm. Yeah. And where Arthur Darville goes, Matt Smith is usually not far behind. And there was, uh, in the last few weeks, Karen Gillan joined Twitter as well, <laughs> which uh, yes. caused some, uh, well, I think you had to dread to think how many thousands of fans she's got now. Well, so. she, she forgot to turn off her um, notifi- new yes. follower notifications, <laughs> so uh, sort of 50,000 uh, notifications e- emails yes. later the following morning. It's like, why is my battery dead? <laughs> yes. Why is it not working anymore? Something I think we've mentioned in uh, dim and distant podcasts of the past. Um, there was a, a decision, an executive decision taken back in series two, uh, mm. the David Tennant's first series, when they were doing historical stories they were no longer going to dress the companions in period dress uh, and they were going to wear their own contemporary clothes because they, they felt it helped keep, make it feel fresher and less staid. Um, and it also removes the problem of them having to go into either the TARDIS wardrobe room or find suitable clothes on location and get changed every story. Yeah. Uh, but we see that continued here. Even though the Doctor's clearly told them where and when he's taking them, there's been no attempt to... Yes dress them in inappropriate clothing because of course uh, when Rose went back to um, 1860s Cardiff in The Unquiet Dead she was dressed in sort of mm. Victorian garden the doctor made a point of not letting her go out before she had changed um, but 
Ah, but here we are. Here they oh, are. I spoke far too soon, yeah. didn't I? But they do. This is ignore it. They're oh, the undercover now. Yeah. Yeah, but this is part of the the script, isn't it? It's part of the plot, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I do. What you mean? Other, other but ordinarily, yeah. yeah, they they were treating it as a bit of a holiday again, which which is something else I think we've discussed in the past. They're yeah, they're time tourists, and yeah, they they're not discovering things. But then again, in this particular story, I think that's excusable because the doctor's deliberately taken them for almost a sort of pre honeymoon, hasn't he? Mm. Yeah. It is supposed to be just a holiday. Let me see. Karen Gillan has 88,000 followers on Twitter. That's not bad. Uh, <laughs> it's quite amusing following her, actually, though, because she tweets we're, pictures of the uh, catching three of them. very slowly. Because, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, they, they've all been filming at the moment. There are some rather amusing photos of, um, of Arthur Darvill and of Matt Smith. I do. Oh, yes. Um, I'm not quite so sure <laughs> what they're doing in some skin. of the... <laughs> the latest photo Mars. that Karen Gillan has, uh, has posted as of today. It's rather disturbing, but uh... and Arthur Darvill has an obsession with eggs, and Karen Gillan has an obsession with cress. That's the main thing I've learned from well, following the two of them. Egg and cress sandwiches between the two of them. Yeah, are fine. I see two. This is the main thing I've learned about them from following them on Twitter. It's beautifully lit. All of this mm. pale stonework. I do think the um, just the shooting um, visually took a step up. Mm. Um, with the start of the Moffat era, mm, yeah. they moved to HD, but uh, well, they've done that with the last few David Tennant ones. But I think just um, the lighting and direction, um, they've really um, made it a lot more cinematic. Mm. And... There's been an awful lot of complaints that the overall colour palette has become far mm. too dark and cold and blue, but this feels quite rich and opulent, mm. but also somehow faded. You know, like It's got the colour of old parchment to it, hasn't it? Like it's, it's a, it suits it very nicely indeed, I think. Because the beginning of Matt Smith's era is the Doctor saw the new TARDIS, didn't it? Because that was yeah. the HD TARDIS came yeah. in. The one that's actually purple-ish in, in actuality, in, uh, in, isn't in it? In real life, yes. But it feels quite gold and green and mm. things on screen. In, on screen. See, I, I, the, the new TARDIS colour palette for the interiors feels an awful lot warmer and richer, mm. I think. Than, uh, as much as I like the David Tennant, you know, the coral control room, it could often feel a bit cold and impersonal, which which the new one can as well, but it, it's got <laughs> <laughs> it's got that warmer touch to it. Now, uh, what's his character called again? Uh, I, I missed it. I keep thinking of him as Othello. The chap who is now wearing Rory's, Rory's TV jumping. shirt. Um, he is... with me a second. He was also in Ashes to Ashes uh, the same week this went out, I think. That's right, he was, wasn't he? Um, Carlo? Is that Carlo. likely to be his name? Played by Simon Gregor? That sounds... Quite possible. Well, listed under sounds Isabella, stupid. who... This is, this is one bit where the sense. location shooting... Falls down because this is, is it Caffili Castle? Yeah. Word? Um, but you can clearly see just open fields in the background, and they're supposed to be in the centre. I didn't there. spot them. Uh, <laughs> oh no! It's which not. they also filmed um, like for the Rebel Flash. Ah yes, the the two the Flash two parties. No, his name isn't Carlo. This whole thing was just an excuse to get Amy in a nighty, really, wasn't it? <laughs> Again. Again. She's already been in a nighty before. 
You can try and pronounce it. Guido. Guido. Guido, yeah, the gondolier. That's a lovely shot. Look at that. It's a mm. tiny little bit of light in this entire screen of darkness. <laughs> Considering, because Series 5 was when the budget was officially scaled back a little bit, wasn't it? But they do seem to become far more creative in terms of their direction. Mm. I, 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 I think you can see um, uh, the use of CGI seems to become a little more scaled back yeah. um, on the on the whole end yeah. of it. Which is not a bad thing necessarily, because I think because no. I was watching uh, Journey's End happened to be repeated on BBC Three last night, mm. and I watched that, and there was points there where the whole screen seemed to be just saturated with things whizzing and flying around um, and exploding and flashing which is great as it goes but mm. I, I, it become a bit yeah. overwhelming after all because Toby Whithouse also wrote The God Complex and I think he's both in that story and this he does a good job of um, exploring the whole um, Dr Rory Amy relationships mm. um, but I think the kind of scrutiny he puts them under is perhaps the kind of scrutiny that um, you can't keep up because if you start stopping to think about the danger that they're always putting themselves in then you do realise that the Doctor is massively irresponsible <laughs> and it's part yeah. of the adventure format that you don't stop too much to dwell on on that um, and so it's a nice beat to hit occasionally but it's not something you can do uh, every week one of the few cases of something bad actually happening to one of the companions is most mm. threatening to happen the bit with the torches is funny as well. Yeah, a little unsubtle, I must admit. Well, but, uh, can't, entirely unsubtle. Yeah. I, I never really took to the whole uh, love triangle between the Doctor, Amy and Rory that they... Mm. It felt a bit contrived, a bit engineered. Well, I never thought... I, I liked the idea of the Doctor as Amy's imaginary childhood friend who, yeah. who actually comes back to her as an adult. Um, I never quite bought into the idea that she would then just immediately be sexually attracted to him. You're not generally sexually attracted to your childhood imaginary friends. I don't remember my childhood friends. Imaginary ones, like... If they turned up, I'm, I'm willing to bet your first instinct wouldn't be to throw yourself out and offer them a one-night That's not very much... That's not my instinct most no. of the time. Particularly not... Ever. If, 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 if David Tennant turned out to be uh, um, Amy's childhood friend, then yes, I could imagine her taking a look at him and saying, hey, I don't remember you being quite as sexy as this, but let's Aww, go with it. Oh, poor Matt Smith. But Matt Smith, Matt Smith is not playing that kind of doctrine, deliberately so. No, true. So it never quite rung true to me that, uh, that she would just immediately fall head over heels for him. Be fascinated by him, yes. And I like the whole idea of him as her best friend. Yeah. Um, helping her to sort of recapture something of her childhood spirit that she maybe lost in the intervening years. But, uh, no, the idea of her fancying him over 
over Rory, who's always been there for her and is obviously quite capable. Well, it, Amy says at the end of um, uh, Fashion Stone that she do, doesn't see it. It, it. it does seem to be more of a, a fling type thing, which, again, I think it doesn't really strengthen her character. It, no, but but it's, it's there in the 11th hour as well when she refuses mm. to look away when the doctor's oh. getting undressed. And here we have the reveal of the fish creature. Yeah. Oh. And, 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 but for once, I think the, the fish creature's actually slightly creepier than, than the vampires. It, it's nicely handled. And I think it's quite, it, it's quite a nice counterpoint to the whole sexy vampire thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Their true face is actually quite... But then, nasty. well, yeah, that's done in other vampire stories, but not necessarily televised ones. Mm-hmm. And they still look quite vampiric. Mm. Well, yes, they have ticked every possible, yeah. usually covered vampire trope you could. But uh... and the fish creature CGI, as as Caleb's already said, is used quite sparingly. It's not they don't immediately switch, and then you're you're left with fish creatures for the rest of the of the episode. Mm. You just get that glimpse, and then uh, then it's back to vampires. No, I know that's done for budgetary reasons primarily, but it works as, from a storytelling point of view as well. Mm. Mm. But going back to Amy's relationship <laughs> with the Doctor, um, at her wedding, yeah, she's married to Rory, and at the reception when the Doctor mm. comes back, she remembers him. You know, she, she effectively, she almost literally shoulder, you know, shoulders Rory to one side and tells the Doctor that she can kiss him, or he can kiss her, and that really weakens the character, I think. That, doesn't reflect well on her at all. And Rory just sort of sits there and doesn't say anything, which doesn't reflect well on him either. He looks ridiculous in that jumper. <laughs> and so in memory of the children lost to the silence, the traitor is Reference to the silence. To the silence. Yeah. Which still doesn't seem to quite make sense in terms of what we've seen of the silence. No, but then nothing of the silence actually seems to make any sense in the overall scheme of it. I do like that, they live in Venice. We can all swim! I think you're going to drown me. You're going to drown so much as be eaten, love. <laughs> Something nasty in the water. I, I didn't this is the one scene that that I didn't like at the time it's the dialogue is a bit unnecessary she's basically narrating what's happening like we mm. we've all seen this kind of scene a hundred times in other things yeah you know, be it jaws be it piranha be it yeah. even doctor who in other things um, we can tell that there's something nasty in the water that's eating her we don't need her to tell us This is quite quite a nice scene. Mm-hmm. Sister of the water. 
give um, a human feeling, human seeming feeling for Matt Smith to face off against. Yes. Because it's the first. um, Because you had Prisoner Zero and you had. You'd have Daleks, haven't Yeah, but there, has, angels there, there hasn't been a sort of um, humanoid villain to, for Matt Smith to act off in this kind no, of way. It hasn't actually been any series. back and forth or conversation or something. Mm. So it's nice to have this kind of scene. Why can we see your big teeth? Self preservation never winds the mirage. The subconscious perceives a threat and tries to let the conscious break. Where's his belt? My turn. Explaining the techno babble, which it does handle quite well. Just yeah, it's, it's all, all the tropes are justified. Yeah, by the end of the conversation, really, aren't they? And it gives it gives her some depth as well. She isn't just the evil, creepy vampire. She's she's actually got a sense of humour and a need. And you get the self preservation. That's what they're running from the silence and. Mm. Yeah. She isn't just doing get, this to get, be evil. Yeah, you get the impression that she wouldn't be a threat under normal circumstances, mm. Mm. or at least not a threat here and now. It's justifying the setting of Venice as well. It's not just there to be a pretty mm. backdrop, which I think the series has been guilty of. Some points in the past, hasn't you can it? Help me. We can build a new society here as others have. What do you say? She gets to show a bit of charisma in this scene. Yeah. You can imagine the two of them actually getting on. Where's Isabella? Isabella? I'm going to save my friend. Oh, deserters must be executed. Any general will tell you that. I need an answer, Doctor. A partnership. Any which way you choose. I don't think that's such a good idea, do you? <laughs> it's a bit weird, the alien fish creature flirting with the Doctor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> think of the children. <laughs> For all that the doctors, you know, constantly telling us to look beyond surface appearances and aliens of people to, he does only pick up the good-looking ones, doesn't he? I do like the whole thing about the uh, not even knowing the name. And the whole, it's, you know, one person is worth fighting for. Mm. Mm. The the casual um, uh, cruelty that's there, mm. even, even though she justifies her own actions. But you get that a lot, don't you? Don't you ever rulers in that, you know, in that people in that sort of position taking um, the needs of the many. Rather than looking at the individuals. Mm-hmm. 
Reception filters are all the rage now in Nottingham, <laughs> aren't they? Everyone's yep. got one. If you find a good piece of techno babble, uh, just keep using it. <laughs> <laughs> the sonic screwdrivers heal um, flesh wounds function. Not enough hands. <laughs> 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 oh, it's the little scenes like this that really make an episode. Mm. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's um. If you're going to do some exposition, that's do it in a fun way. Yeah. Why are there? is something quite totally weird about the sort of obsession with reproduction in the episode. <laughs> I mean, I've been around with it, but really, that's, that's... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. See, that sums up Matt Smith's whole approach as the doctor to this sexual reproduction thing. There was a slight Star Wars... Uh, feel to that. And now they can hover. They're hovering fish Hovering fish, do they explain that at any point? Well, flying fish maybe. I think they're just presumably because they've got those big sort of spidery legs, they're just mm. crawling up the outside of the, of the building. <laughs> He uses the word boxing. Fish yeah. in space have never been so boxing. There, there's your strap line for the episode. <laughs> if this was, if there's a target novelisation of this, it'll be Doctor Who and the Boxing Fish from Space. <laughs> yeah. The convenient supply of gunpowder. Work on wood. Don't work on wood. Well, what the self-respecting gondolier doesn't have a supply of gunpowder. Right? The grand tradition of secondary characters uh, heroically sacrificing themselves to save the Doctor and friends. Yeah. So I'm reminded again just going back to um, Journey's End last night and the Doctor accusing uh, mm. Davros accusing the Doctor of turning the people he meets into weapons 
That's a nice shot. Well, it's 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 a nice idea. It's a nice uh, idea, but but he 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 uses Harriet Jones's self-sacrifice as an example. Well, but that simply highlights the fact that self-sacrifice is not using somebody, you know, turning somebody well, into a weapon. It's what Ruby says earlier that the reason the duck is dangerous is that he makes people want to impress him ah oh, yes that's true uh, which is a that's a better way of putting no, it nice idea yeah and it is nice just to have Rory to re-inject a sort of normal perspective on things mm. to do the whole thing of um there's a whole bunch of uh, vampires. We're uh, infiltrating their castle. Why exactly? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. I like that scene. We we just talked over it then, but the scene where um, the doctor shouts at Amy and yes. she storms off, and yeah. Rory says um, thank you. He makes it clear that he's the one in charge, and she mm. yeah. has a bit of a, a bit of a childish strop. She does have a strop and run away, and, mm. and Rory's the one who says thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's like Caleb said. Rory's the one with the, with the clearer perspective. A bleepy thing. Mm. Such determination. Just to save one city. Hard to believe it's the same man that let an entire race turn to cinders and ash. Now you can watch as my people take their new kingdom. It's one of the few references back to the Time War. Mm. Mm. Mostly been ditched mm. since Moffat. Shouldn't I be dead? And rightly so, because I, I think that whole section of continuity is... Yeah, it came to a natural end. There's no need to yeah. keep harping back to it. You've got to move on. Mm, really, there's continuity there. He suddenly moves halfway up the room. Hmm. And he's no longer stood on the plinth that he was stood on that made her higher than him. Ah. Um, and she runs away and he's suddenly halfway up the room. <laughs> I like this bit. Actually, vampires. I love that this actually works. Yeah. What did you say about money? This <laughs> has got a broom. Oh. Too much Star Wars, Rory. <laughs> oh, give him a thousand years as a Roman centurion and uh, he'll be able to handle himself. Yeah. That's an incredibly blunt sword. If it's a rapier, it's, it's meant more for thrusting than for, for hacking. Mm. It's interesting that Amy's costume in this is very similar to the one in... Uh, Vincent and the Doctor, which of course they were filming at the same oh, time. Yeah. See? Mm. That's true. So he conveniently does it actually cut his broom. Mm, yes, it yeah. should have cut his broom when, earlier when, on when as well. When the plot necessitates yeah. it, it's sharp enough to cut a broom. It's funny that. Oh. How do you think Rory compares to Mickey when he first joined the TARDIS in terms of uh, yeah, boy boyfriend of the, the main companion who's clearly got a crush on the Doctor. Um, tags along. I think Rory's better. I think Rory's got more of a character. 
and Rory actually sort of shouts a bit more about. Rory's asserting himself a bit more. Yeah, he shouts about just actually how unfair some of these things are. In that he's always yeah. treated as the the lesser sort of sidekick. Yeah. Raw, um, you always got the impression. Too. Mickey, I mean, I I, I think Noel oh, Clark oh. is terrific. Oh, there we go. Finally. I think Noel Clark is a terrific actor. And, uh, he became very very good. Um, he wasn't well served by the stories, particularly. Mm-hmm. No. In fact, they wrote him out as soon as he became interesting. Yeah. As soon as he actually became capable. Yeah. <laughs> and he was uh, better. He, they left him in the parallel. He was better on his own. Mm. Whereas Rory and Amy work well. Yes. As a yeah, couple. they do work better as a couple. You know, he, uh, Mickey only actually got good when you wrote off the bit with Rose. And then, yeah, they wrote him out altogether anyway. So. Uh, Mickey, up up until the end of the. Cyberman two-parter you did get the impression that he really had no idea what was going on or how to handle himself I don't think or how to cope with it they've made was... a conscious effort to write Rory in yeah. from sort of now on where they don't bother with Mickey yes that's he pops true. in and out every now and again mm. but they actually give Rory a character Mickey felt more like Rose's companion yeah not even an equal companion at that whereas yeah. Rory I think mm. has earned his place yeah almost immediately yeah and it is interesting with the um, Love Centurion thing because that does establish him almost as an equal to the Doctor because uh, it gives him that depth of experience Yeah, and uh, you particularly get that idea in A Good Man Goes to War with the whole um, opening monologue some of these CGI clouds aren't very good no of course you get that with other you know that idea of the companion having experience of their own you get with Rose quite a bit and you get with Martha later on when she joins yes and it's nice they've got to bring something to the party that the Mm. doctor can't offer himself and it's nice that not only does Amy get that chance to have that experience but they give Rory the same experience which they they give glimmers of it with Mickey obviously with him returning from the parallel universe but that's all you get and he goes back again doesn't he back a couple of times uh, see at, at one point um, if the doctor's to be believed about if, if he's telling the truth about his age yeah. Rory's actually been alive longer than he has yeah technically although um, given that I was, I was re-watching Revelation of the Daleks the Colin Baker 1980s Daleks oh, yeah. and he says he's 900 years old in that so mm. it's it's a point of huge contention anyway, the Doctor's age, but I, I think it's safe to assume that he's been lying about it for quite some time. This CGI here is not very good. <laughs> no. It seems that the Doctor's always climbing up a tower in a storm. There's mm. got to be lightning flying around somewhere. But yet he doesn't get struck by it, which is convenient. <laughs> it, yeah. There's, I, there's, there's lightning in the tower in... Um, the flesh two-parter there's he climbs up Alexandra Palace transmitter tower yeah in the idiot's lantern yeah Daleks in Manhattan Daleks in Manhattan Manhattan, it's the same of course in the classic series Perky climbs up towers to do things yeah Tom Baker does Tom Baker famously falls off a tower and regenerates the um, and also it's just a bit of a convenient thing for the aliens that their plans depend on some transmitter or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, if, you're which to, doc- if you're going to have the doctor flick a switch to solve the problem, you've got to make it 
inaccessible. You know, it's, it's yeah. like Christopher Eccleston and the fans on um, on the space station in, mm. in the end but of the world. I, I think as a device, obviously fine, but it needs to be accompanied by something else that makes some kind of demand on the doctor. I thought all of these clothes were... Um, <laughs> Uh, perception say, filter. There's not really yeah. any need for her to take her clothes off, is there? But, but um, unless it's something to do with her removing her her authority, and you know that she's actually failed, and that she's maybe because there's the parallel. Maybe, obviously, maybe, she's stood maybe the, in. Yeah, maybe the bits of the fish people that we actually see, they have some kind of cladding or armor or something that she mm-hmm. can take off. Can your conscience carry the Although they, they, they do? don't change when when she removes them. No. But also what I'm what I'm thinking is it more is it the writers trying to make the parallel between her and the other girls because now she's stood yeah. in exactly what they were yeah, stood in rather than it being making any sense in the fish people sense mm. but in the in the visual sense is that the idea? Mm. I'm not I'm speculating I don't know. Yeah. I think, it makes a bit I, I, sense. I think you're right that there's a clear parallel mm. there. Um, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily think it makes sense with with, with the perception filter. With, with the whole flicking a switch to solve the plot, that's fine if you make it so that for the doctor to flick the switch, there's some other demand other than just climbing. That there's some yes, there's some conflict emotionally and or some kind of intellectual problem to be solved. Yeah, or character wise, but. Um, Think. Just for a bit. Yeah. Amy and Roy needed more scenes yeah. like this. Yes. It, but it, it shouldn't come as a surprise or some kind of special treatment that she actually wants her her fiance yeah. to, to, to yeah. around and travel with her. <laughs> you get the impression that she is doing him a bit of a favour. We are not her boy. Yeah. <laughs> I like that scene. See, uh, Rory and the Doctor have a really good relationship. And I think it comes from the fact that um, apparently Matt Smith and Arthur Dargle were friends years before ever, you know, uh, coming to Doctor Who. Because uh, they'd acted on stage together and they, they knew each other socially and they, they just hung out together. I think a big part of the the three of them working so well together is that the fact that the three of them in real life work. Yes. You know, they are. They, they, they are friends together in real life. Yeah. Um, and, and here, Amy's choice, perfect example of, of just uh, yeah, three of them playing off each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that Noel Clark and David Tennant never really no. had. He was there, think, always there under sufferance, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's always a lesser character, wasn't he? And hmm. He at best, he was an annoyance. Yeah, to, and I think that's doctor. what makes it easier for them to set Rory up as his well, own character. I, I think you got glimmers of that, like the. Um, you get that scene at the end of Aliens of London where with Eccleston and Mickey and there's yeah. some See, I think some e- e- Eccleston's Doctor and Noel Clark if they'd carried on with that I think they could have developed something mm. really interesting I think but you get they never really built yeah. on that I think you've got glimmers time. everywhere with Mickey of what you could have done with him but I think what they did is scrapped him and did it all with Rory instead yeah and yeah. I personally and it, quite it, like Rory so that's fine and maybe it works quite better because of their you know their relationship outside of you know, their actual relationship, Arthur Darvill and, and Matt Smith. Mm. Um, but uh, there we are. Yeah. So what did we think on a, on a re-watching? 
I actually like it slightly better now, but not because of the vampires. Mm-hmm. I like the the character interaction between the three oh. of them that you get, regardless of the the vampire storyline. You'll, um, you'll have to sit down with State of Decay, the old Tom Baker one, yes. which which has actual vampire vampires. Actual vampires. Be- before, in the days before the Time Wars, the great enemy of the Time Lords were the vampires who'd been unleashed mm. from some dark pocket dimension. I'd like to see how Doctor Who did them because I've seen a lot of. How they, they vampires are have done very traditional hammer horror style mm. Victorian Gothic vampires. Mm. I say Victorian Gothic. The Victorian Gothic perception of vampires it yeah. says in a medieval style mm. society. Mm. But um, even though the, the vampires have sort of a high technology, but it's a high technology that's so old it mm. feels almost mythic. But no, I quite I'm, I'm, I liked it because of Rory more than anything else. Mm. I'm sure Olivia will be glad. <laughs> What did you think? Well, you quite liked it before we watched I it. I quite liked it before. Uh, yeah, I think it's held up very, very well, actually. It, it, was, it was just as good uh, on a second viewing. I had forgotten those nice little character moments, so it was mm. quite nice seeing those again. I That's think, what I uh, liked more than anything else, I think. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's... I wouldn't say it's overall one of the one of the strongest standout episodes of Series 5, but it's one of the most consistently enjoyable from start to finish. I think its merits are in it, it in the little scenes rather than the overall storyline. So I think that's hmm. possibly why it's yeah. quite sustainable. It manages to balance the two quite nicely. It's, it's got a nice pace, um, and again, visually, it's just got a very nice style to it. So yeah, no, I, I'd quite happily watch this a third time. Caleb? Yeah, I think um, I think it's good visually and character-wise. I think the plot is a bit, mm. uh, particularly the ending, is just a bit. What's the word? Off the peg. It's a off the peg Doctor Who plot. The aliens are trying to do something horrible by transmitting a signal. Sort of yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, okay, but that could have been better. But overall, a, a very enjoyable episode and good reintroduction for Rory. Mm. So, yeah. There we go. Well, if you want to let us know what you thought of the episode, get in touch. Send us an email, um, put a post on our Facebook wall. Yep. Indeed. And, uh, well, we we shall speak to you again. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more science fiction, fantasy and Doctor Who news and discussion. And we will continue with Series 5, because I think we didn't do commentaries in any of the episodes we, we didn't do any of the second half of the uh-huh. series. Anything, no, did we? so all of those We've are to come. Lot more, lots more to watch. Yeah, yeah. A- Amy's choice is probably the next one. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So keep listening. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.com, or search for us iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening!